Matthew chapter 11, verses 35 to 38. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Thank you. If you will go ahead and leave your Bible open there to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to study together from this great text. If you can think about it as if a coach is giving a pep talk to his players before the big series, we'll call it, the game. And it's going to be a challenging game. It's going to be full of chaos. It's going to be full of difficulty. There's going to be injury uh, in all likelihood. It's going to be tough. Then you have a very small picture of what was going on in Matthew chapters 9 and 10 as Jesus was preparing his disciples for the limited commission and then ultimately Christians for the Great Commission. But in Matthew chapter 9, he says, you're going to be my faithful witnesses, and you're going to testify of who I am and why I am here, the purpose that I'm here for, and the fact that we are in league together for God, trying to serve His great purpose of trying to get as many people to heaven as we possibly can. And specifically, we want to target the Jews. When you come to Matthew chapter 10, not a lot has changed in that process. There's still this idea of preparing their hearts for the persecution that they would face in view of the coming uh, struggle and teaching the Jews. But beyond that, we're going to go further. We're not just going to teach the Jews, but we're going to teach all the world. And if you remember in, Romans, or in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, when Luke was writing there and he said that you receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. So again, we find that same strategy of going to the Jews and then going to the rest of the world. In Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17, same thing. Uh, the, talking about the power of the gospel, and that power of the gospel was to convert the Jews first, and then also the Greeks or the Gentiles. Jesus was doing that in Matthew chapters 9 and 10. And as we look at these passages together, I think we're impressed with this idea that following Jesus is, a, is something that's radical, but it's also reasonable. And I don't like using the word radical a lot because it is a, it's really a packed word, isn't it? Something is radical, or they are radical. Um, but in the case of following Jesus, the expectation that he has for his followers, for his disciples, really is radical. There is something that Jesus is not just asking, but he's commanding of his people to engage in that just doesn't seem right. Did you notice that in the excellent reading that we had a moment ago? Let's look at it again, and, and, and this won't be the only time that we look at this again, but, but listen. I'm come to set a man at variance against a division, a divide. That, doesn't that sound counter 
culture with what Jesus was about in places like John chapter 17, verses 20 and following. He, he there talks about this idea of how that the world would believe in him because of the unity of brethren. Unity, the word. Ephesians, uh, beginning with chapter 1, really the whole book, over and over again we find uh, these words, one, unity, together. One of our favorite and most quoted psalms, in Psalm 133 and verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together, together in unity. And then verse 3 would seem to indicate that there's no going to heaven without unity among brethren. So if we want to go to heaven, then we've got to be united and not divided. And so when he says here in this passage that he's going to set father, man at variance against his father, and daughter against mother, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, that just, that just doesn't sound right. But yet that's what Jesus is saying, and so what I'm suggesting is He's asking us to do something that's very radical, and we'll explain more about what this means in a moment. But it's also reasonable. Jesus' call to us to, to follow him and the expectations of what may transpire as we choose to follow him may be radical, but at the same time, he's not asking us to do anything that we can't do. Reminds me of something that Paul said in Romans chapter 12. You remember verses 1 and 2 where he calls us to follow him and to transform our lives. And it's what kind of a service? It's a reasonable service. Radical and reasonable. I want to make three observations from this passage together. And hopefully it will help us as we steer our hearts in the direction of following Jesus, despite the fact that it may be a hardship at times. The first thing I want us to consider is inspiration. When you look at this text in Matthew chapter 10, there are a number of verses leading up to the immediate context that was read for us a moment ago. A number of verses that are words by Jesus of inspiration to follow him. And if you look beginning there in verse number 29, actually we'll back up a little bit. Look at verse 26. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid, that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Now, Jesus is saying, and, and we see you know, evidence of, of this type of uh, discussion in, in Ephesians chapter 3 and elsewhere. Jesus has called his disciples along his side to just sit with them. It's just you and me, disciples, the closest of the disciples. It's just you and me. And when you're wondering, well, which ones? You go back to chapter 10, beginning with verse 2, and you've got... Uh, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, and James, and so on. But he, he, Jesus says, it's just you and me. And I want you to listen. I want to tell you something very challenging, but very special. I want to tell you that you're being prepared for something that is going to have the 
the ability, the power to save the world. To save a generation, but not just your generation, but the generations to come. I'm going to tell you something that's so unique and so powerful and so awesome, and then I'm going to invite you to be a part of that. I want to tell you that in just a few days, I'm going to be taken away. And in just a few days, I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be tried. In just a few days, I'm going to be crucified. And when I'm crucified, the blood that I will shed on the cross will have the power as a, as a purchase price to redeem people, all people, from their sins. If they'll turn to me. If they'll obey God. And you get to have a part of that because you get to tell my story. You get to tell people about who I am. I'm Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. That's important because that will come up in just a moment. You get to tell that story. But not only that, you get to tell them of my great love for them. That I was willing to lay down my life for them. And you get to tell them that through their faith, their obedience, they can go to heaven and they can leave this world behind one day. Isn't that a great story? And Jesus says you can be part of that. You can be my sharer of that gospel or that, that good news. So this is what he's saying in this, in this darkness, but it's going to be brought to light. And in verse 20 he says, you're going to be challenged. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He's telling them that what I'm, what I'm inviting you to participate in is probably going to cause some of you a lot of heartache. And it may, be even, call, call, may even cause some of you to lose your life. But you're just going to lose your life. It will just be a loss of being on this earth. But you're not going to lose your destiny. You're not going to lose a sense of well-being. You see, if you follow me in this process, and I understand it's going to be hard, and you may lose your life, but if you'll follow me in this process, I've got something that I'm offering you that will be far better. And I can't help but think if, as Jesus is talking to them, if he has in mind this dual throne that's promised to his leaders. You know, the Bible teaches that we will all receive the crown of life, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4, verses 2 through 4. We'll all receive the crown of, of life if we're faithful to Jesus. But he speaks specifically to his leaders, contextually to elders, but he speaks to them and he says, you will receive a different crown. You're not just going to receive the crown of life, but you're going to receive the, the crown of glory. It's two different words in the Greek. And so it's as if those special leaders are going to get something a little bit better. Now, I'm, I'm totally good with heaven, period. But as I read through the book of Matthew, I understand that there are degrees of reward and punishment that are identified in that book regarding heaven and hell. There are degrees. 
And so it would seem that there are some that are going to receive not just the crown of life, but they're going to receive a crown of glory, and that's pretty special. He says, don't worry about those folks that might be able to kill the body. You, you, just, you worry about those who could destroy the soul and body in hell. And then he says, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He says, I want to remind you that God's watching out for us. Remember, this is inspiration. Inspiration. God's watching out. He cares. The sparrows, it's interesting here, he says that you're of more value than the sparrows, and two of them are sold for a farthing, a penny. Two of them. You could get four of them for two cents. History tells us that they would often order two sets, so they would get four, and these, these birds were so cheap that they would throw in the fifth one for free. You're way more valuable, and this was for, this was for the four, poor folks, but you're way more valuable than the sparrows. It's said that on the average head, some of us are above average and some of us below average, and that's all right, but it's said on the average head there are 100,000 hairs. God knows every single one. And there's not, a, there's, not, there's not a sparrow that falls to the earth. There's not a hair that falls from the head that God's not aware of. And we're of more value than those. And then he says in verse number 32, Whosoever, therefore, because of his care, Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. And who would not want to do that? And, and this clicker is not working for me, so if you wouldn't mind hitting the, the button up there in the sound room. Thank you. Who, who would not want to do that? Who wouldn't want to confess? After, after what Jesus has just said, after being a part of this close-knit group, receiving an invitation to be a spreader of this good news that will change the world, to say that, yeah, you might lose your life, but you're not going to lose your destiny. I'm, I've got something far better for you. Who would not want to confess Jesus before men? Confess, there is this idea of, of um, this public shout. What would happen in the first century often if, if there were, um, was some bit of news that was to be celebrated? then an individual would go up on the rooftop and they would shout, or they might go up on a hillside and they would shout the message. It reminds me of what Jesus did in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. You remember when Jesus went into his pulpit? He didn't come up into to one of these uh, situations. I, really, I think we've got this all wrong. I think that the, Jesus, he went up on the hillside and he sat down. And people would often stand and so maybe I should get to sit for half an hour and y'all stand for half an hour and we'd be more biblical. But uh, Jesus goes up into the pulpit and he sits. But he, he goes up into the pulpit, the hillside, which was normal to give a, an address because people down in the valley could hear better. 
And so it's as if Jesus is saying, go up on the housetop, the rooftop, go up on a hillside, a mountaintop, and shout your confession of Jesus. But what is that confession? You know, when, when someone decides to become a Christian, and sometimes this happens on a, a Sunday, and it takes place following a, a, a sermon, more often than not, it happens during a weekday, maybe late at night, during the middle of the day, because people are so convicted of their sins and they desire to become a Christian that they can't wait till Sunday, and they shouldn't wait until Sunday. But sometimes it happens on a Sunday, and someone will come forward and we'll ask them to stand and, and make the great confession. And uh, maybe the, one of the elders or the minister will say something like, Do you believe that Jesus Christ? is the Son of God, and they'll respond with, yes, or I do. I don't see anything wrong with that. I often will like to do it this way. Do you have something that you would like to share with the audience? And they'll respond with, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We find that expression in Scripture, but we also find this in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, when Jesus is talking about a confession of who He is it is a confession that He is their Lord. And so when you think about the confession that Jesus is asking them to make, to shout, is a confession not only that Jesus is the Son of God, but it, that He is going to be the Lord and Master of their lives. And I think, I think we would do well to, to remember that this is not something that we do just before we become a Christian. But this is something that we continue to do after becoming a Christian. And then it says in verse number 33, But whoever will deny me. It's the idea of rejecting. Throwing someone under the bus, if you will. Whoever would deny me, he will be denied before my Father which is in heaven inspiration. Next slide. Not only do we see an inspiration here in this, this radical and reasonable following of Jesus, but there's also a separation that must take place. Next slide. So if you look at verse number uh, 34, think not. Another translation says, don't think on this. Well, I'm curious as to what is that talking about? Don't think about, the, well, clearly they were thinking about something that was not in line with what Jesus was talking about here. Well, the thinking was probably, since this was being addressed to how they would communicate with the Jews in that limited commission, the thinking was that the Jews were, or that the Messiah was going to come and be a... Uh, a bringer of a nationalistic peace in which all peoples were going to be together in, in peace. And Jesus said, that wasn't the plan. Now, do I want people to be at peace? Do I want there to be unity among all in the world? Of course. Of course. The only thing that's going to bring peace to a troubled Middle East, the only thing that's going to be bring peace to Asia, the only thing that's going to be bring peace to the Americas, 
ultimately is Jesus. That's the only person that could do it. But the reality is, not everybody's going to be on board. And Jesus understood that. And so if you're just looking for a nationalistic form of peace to take place, you're looking at Jesus as a Messiah in the wrong way. In fact, there's going to be great division that takes place. Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. I think we look at that and we, we think perhaps, well, Jesus was about war. That's what he was looking for. He was looking for there to, to be great battles in array across the world. There to be conflict, there to be war. That's what Jesus was vying for in his coming. And that's not what Jesus was about. But at the same time, Jesus understood, of course, that, that battles would take place. The prophets talked about this in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and following, where he said that, that these instruments of, uh, of peace, these instruments of gardening, they would be beaten and reconfigured into swords and spears. There would be conflict. There would be battle, if you will. But what kind of battle? This is where it gets personal. For I, Jesus, I am come to set a man at variance, at odds, division against, to put under, against his father and the daughter against mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes enemies, quite literally, the ones he hates, shall be they of his own household. You see what I mean when I say that following Jesus is radical? Why is it radical? Because there are going to be times in which an individual or maybe individuals within a house not just a, uh, not just a family, a distant family, but within the house, where maybe, maybe a wife chooses to follow Jesus, but a husband does not, or vice versa. Or maybe, maybe children have Christian friends at school and are invited to come to church, and they choose to follow Jesus, and then they go back home to their house, and their mom and dad, they don't want to be Christians, and so you've got children now against parents or maybe maybe parents maybe they choose to follow Jesus but the children they never come on board and they choose not to follow Jesus and so within a house you have parents following Jesus and children not following Jesus how awful how tragic but how real it happens it's even true among us in this room where we have division because we have some choosing to follow Jesus within a home and some not choosing to follow Jesus within a home. And we're not the only ones. It's all over the world. Back up. I'll let you know. It's all over the world. 
where people are choosing. And they get the choice. Variance against Father. Says a man at variance. I think about it's the son of the father, and then it's the daughter and the mother. There's, generally speaking, this is not always the case, so we can't make just a blanket statement, but, but it's, it is often the case where you have son and father, and they seem to be a little closer in the family dynamic, and the mother and daughter seem to be a little closer in the family dynamic. But Jesus is saying, as close as daddy and son may be, with respect to things in this world, one of them may choose to follow Jesus and the other not. And that close bond is broken. Or mama and daughter, as close as they may be, one chooses to follow Jesus and the other does not, and that bond is broken. So Jesus says, following me is radical because there is a separation that may take place. You can click it. In the next verse, we see that there is a presentation, though. One more time. He that father or he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I, I wanted to remind myself of the word love that's used there in verse 37. And it's not agape. You know, we we think about agape, that's that's the high, highest form of, of love. There are a few words used for love in the Bible, and that's really the highest one because it's talking about this, this sacrificial, where I put you above myself. It's the kind of love that Jesus had for us. He went to the cross. He put himself above, above us. He did it for us, as was said in the comments prior to the Lord's Supper a moment ago. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is that word phileo, which is brotherly love, which is a buddy love, a friendship love. And he says, he that, he that loves father or mother, he that is a closer friend with mom or dad, than he or she is with me, is not worthy. And he that loves son or daughter, he, he that is closer with his son or daughter, she that is closer with their son or daughter, more than with me, Jesus says, not worthy of me. That is almost impossible to fathom. I, I mean, at least for some, it's, how, how, can, how can you imagine that? Here is someone specifically as a parent, here is someone to whom you give birth. Someone that you raise. 
Someone that is with you for 18 years, maybe longer, and then they launch. Man, that's a, there's, there's a, there are a lot of years there to create this close bond, this, this connection. And Jesus, you're asking me to be at odds, to be at variance, to be divided? Jesus said, yeah, I've got to be, I've got to be more important. I've got to be your closest friend. I've got to be your buddy more than them. Mom and Dad, they raised me. I mean, they, I don't know what the, the current figures are, but I used to know what it cost, what the estimated cost was to, to raise a child from birth through college. It's a lot of money. Kids, it's a lot of money. They, but you think about your parents. Your parents raised you. They, they provided for you. They spent a small fortune in raising you. As you began to, to launch, maybe there were additional needs that you had along the way. And, and, and maybe in some cases they helped to subsidize that for you. They continue to be your biggest cheerleaders as you began to engage in life and start your career. They were there for you when you had your own children. Jesus, you're, you're asking me, you're asking me, the, these folks that are with me for, for all of these years, you're asking me to deny them? You're asking me to set them aside so that you and I can have a closer bond? Yes. You see, it is radical. But in reality, it's only radical when we have our worldly cap on. But it's not about living for this world. It's about living for the next. And it's not about realizing that the most important relationships are on this earth, but the most important relationship is the one that we have with the God of the universe. So it's really not that radical. And it is much more reasonable. He says in verse 38, And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. The idea of the cross is something that they, they knew about. Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, he crucified 800 Pharisees. A Roman general came behind him and crucified 2,000 Jews. History tells us that Herod the Great, on his deathbed, he was going to have crucified scores of Jews because he wanted there to be a great lament 
when he died, as if the lamenting was for him. They knew something about the cross. And Jesus says, He that taketh not his cross, his own cross, and follow after me is not worthy of me. Those who would be crucified, it was common practice that they would carry their own crossbar to the place that they would be crucified. Jesus did this, we know. You've got to carry your own cross. And he that finds his life here will lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake, he that will find it. He that receives you and receives me, and he that receives me receiveth him that sent me. I want you to, as we wrap up, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 26. Peter, this message had already been shared. They have been invited to participate, to join the cause, to become radical followers of Jesus. And they were on board. They were willing to do it. I mean, they didn't completely get it. They, and, and, and we don't give them a hard time for that. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. What would you have done in every situation? Jesus has just prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's now hours away from the cross. Peter defends the Lord as they had come to take him away, and Jesus told him to put his sword away. Jesus had also told him, Peter... You're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. Peter said, no, no way. I've denied all others, but I'm not going to deny you. Jesus said, you will. Verse 69 of Matthew 26, Peter sat without in the palace. Jesus is taken away to be crucified at this point. Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what you say. And when he has gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were, with, uh, that, that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied, this time with an oath, I vow, I promise, I don't know the man. And after a while came unto him, surely that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And that chapter wraps up with Peter realizing that he had forgotten his radical followership of Jesus. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Following Jesus with a request from Jesus you think about this. This is not something that I'm asking. This is something that Jesus is asking. And I say asking because you have a choice in this. 
following Jesus is something that's radical. Because it may cost us something. In fact, it's not a may, it will. It will cost us something. It may even cost us the closest earthly relationships that we have. But it's reasonable too. It's reasonable because of what's in it for us. You say, well, that's selfish. Well, that's just the way we are. You see, what's in it for us is this this knowledge that I have chosen to turn to the God and Creator of the universe and to please Him above everyone else. Because if I do that, I know I'm going to heaven. It may set families at odds. It may turn friendships upside down. It may cost us jobs, even careers. It's radical. But it's reasonable. Would you do something that may seem radical if you haven't done this? Would you be willing to say, Jesus, I accept you as the Lord and Master of my life. You're the Son of the living God. And God, I'm willing to turn from my sins. And as silly as it may sound to those in the world, I am willing to be immersed, buried in water, and raised out of that water, We call it baptism, because Scripture does. And be raised out of that water to walk a brand new life. It may seem silly. It may even seem radical. But Jesus calls for the radical. Would you be willing to do that? And then it will be your reasonable service to follow Him for the rest of your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Would you be willing to do that? I can't make the decision for you, and neither can Jesus. But he has some pretty inspiring words. I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. Think about it. Together we now stand and as we sing.